And we're going to um, look at a, a small passage of Scripture from uh, Genesis chapter 3 this morning. It's, it's printed for you in the bulletin, and, and um, uh, you can follow along right there. And um, let's turn now to God's Word, uh, that uh, God's Word and His Spirit may lead us uh, to Christ, uh, the Savior born of Mary. Hear God's Word. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you uh, that we get to meet uh, here this morning and uh, meditate on the wonder of the incarnation that the Son of God took on flesh to dwell among us, to take our sins on the cross. Truly, he is the only hope for the whole world, and he's the only hope for our individual lives. And so, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit and through this passage in Genesis 3, you would um, direct our minds and hearts to worship him. And so, Lord, uh, we open our hearts to you, and uh, we love you. We long to hear from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I love uh, when Christmas falls on a Sunday like this, when we uh, gather on Christmas morning to, to worship together, and uh, it, what a beautiful week this was last week. I don't know, maybe you thought it was beautiful, maybe you thought it was annoying, um, but my, uh, on Tuesday morning, my wife Shannon and I uh, woke up with our cups of coffee. We're looking out the, uh, the window from our kitchen. We had about a foot of snow and we both had the same uh, reaction as we looked at the trees around our house that had snow all over them that we said it reminded us of the Narnia stories. And the Chronicles of Narnia are stories about another fantasy world where a group of children travel there. And in the first book, the world is covered in snow. And uh, one of the things that C.S. Lewis intended when he wrote these stories about another world was that you'd go read the book, and you'd be brought into this other world, and then you'd come back to this world, and you'd say, this world isn't actually that different from Narnia. You know, it's a kind of a snow-covered, cursed world. I live in a snow-covered, cursed world. And there's, there's talking animals in that world. I'm a talking animal. And, like, there's talking animals in this world. They're real. And what it's supposed to do is to open your eyes to see that we are actually living in a story world. And the reason I say that is because I think this passage from uh, Genesis chapter 3 that I just uh, read is meant to have a similar but yet even more powerful effect on us. Because these verses that I just read to you from Genesis 3 are some of the most incredible words ever recorded. They're passed down, they're preserved from our first parents. Extremely ancient words. And we know very little about the beginning of humanity. But one thing we know is that way back in the primordial history, a cryptic promise was made by God at the beginning of the world. And it said that human history would be a war between uh, good and evil, that God's good world 
would be cursed. And the key battle would involve a woman, a child, and an evil serpent. And the child would be wounded, but the serpent would be killed. And uh, for any Christian, you know, the image of a uh, woman and child, even when we see a woman and child now, it almost instinctively brings us to Christmas. Mary and her child. And it's not just any child that was born on Christmas. This was the child who made the world. The child that made the world once was born into this, uh, this universe, into this world, into a certain place, into a certain culture. He spoke a certain language. So this all sounds like a myth. It all sounds like a Narnia story, except this is the true myth that we are a part of. And so what does Genesis 3 tell us about the true story that you and I are all a part of? Well, uh, it focuses on Christmas. In particular, it says three things to us that I want to talk about this morning. This is what they are. That at the center of Christmas is a conflict. At the center of Christmas is a woman. And at the center of Christmas is a savior. Three insights from these cryptic words from Genesis 3. That at the center of Christmas is a conflict. At the center of Christmas is a woman. And the center of Christmas is a savior. And I hope that uh, these words from Genesis lead you into a deep sense of wonder at the mystery of uh, God becoming a man on Christmas morning. And so, uh, so three thoughts for us this morning. The first is this. At the center of Christmas is a conflict. The center of Christmas is a conflict. Now, these verses uh, that I just read, they take place immediately after the fall of humanity. Uh, In this passage, the devil had taken the form of a serpent and uh, deceived our first mother, Eve. She ate of the forbidden uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then her husband was with her, and he also ate of the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, uh, And so then in verse 14... It says that the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, I don't think that this verse is explaining to us why snakes don't have legs. And maybe you've read that and say this is kind of a just-so story. Why doesn't the snake have legs? Well, this is a story. No, because this is not talking about snakes in general. This is talking about a particular serpent, a talking serpent. And you know, most snakes do not speak. Most snakes do not defy God. This one was different. And basically, the Lord was saying to this one serpent, the devil, I'm going to humiliate you. You're going to eat the dust. I'm going to put you at the lowest place of the whole earth. And then he goes on to say in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. There's going to be enmity. There's going to be conflict. And the very first mention of Christmas, the Lord is saying, I'm going to bring a conflict into the world. And, of course, when Jesus came speaking, that's what he said he was doing, that he came to bring a conflict. He said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to bring division to the world. And some of you might hear that and say, you know, I don't remember Christmas being about a division and a sword. I thought the angels came. We just said it. The angels came saying, peace to you on earth. You know, good, God's goodwill towards men. Why would we say that there's a conflict coming? And the answer is, True peace only comes through a conflict. True peace only comes through a conflict. And and many of you have learned that lesson in your personal lives. Maybe it's in your family or in your marriage. 
that you know that if there's no conflict, then sin and distance can just grow, and it just subtly you drift apart, and that it's in the conflict that the things that you care most deeply about come to the surface and are addressed and talked about and worked through. It's in the conflict that actually true peace comes about. The Bible says that this is true with God's relationship with humanity. And any idea that God, you know, you know, sometimes people talk about how God is just, he's an energy and he's in the sky. He's loving feelings in the sky. He's kind of good vibes that's kind of vaguely in the universe. And he always makes us good, feel good. There's no way God is like that. There's no way that God is conflict avoidant. It's dishonest. The Lord is much more realistic about our situation. And he says, if there's going to be healing in this world, it has to be a conflict. And it turns out uh, that conflict began with Adam and Eve's family. You know, Adam and Eve had two, initially two sons, uh, Cain and Abel. And, uh, and this passage says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And Adam and Eve had these two sons. Cain was the offspring of the serpent, and he murdered his, his brother Abel because uh, he was envious of him. And so... Uh, Adam and Eve had another son named Seth, who was a worshiper of God. And so from these two sons, Cain and Abel, these two lines formed. Those who worship God and honor him and those who are of the seed of the serpent, the offspring of the serpent. As you read through the Old Testament, you find that this conflict is over and over again alluded to. And Jesus, when he comes with his disciples, he says, you're in a conflict with serpents and you're going to stomp serpents under your feet. And so as I mentioned at the beginning, you and I are living in a story world. And if we're living in a story, there has to be a conflict. If, you've ever, if you're a writer, you know there has to be a conflict. Life is a fight. Life is warfare with a cursed one, the dragon, the dark lord, the prince of the world. St. Augustine said this conflict is between the city of God and the city of man. This is the crucial storyline of human history. And this one verse that, I just read, that we just read, Genesis chapter 3, is basically the thesis statement for all of human history and all of the Bible. This is what God is doing. And so something that we all have to accept about life is that much of it is a conflict. When Jesus came as a baby into the world, there was not peace. Herod wanted to kill him. We have conflict with the spiritual powers. We have conflict with the world that's hostile around us. And we all have conflict within ourselves, our flesh. And the spirit wage war even in our own persons. And so the first thing we learn about Christmas from this passage is that the center of Christmas is a conflict. And, you know, if there's a conflict, you might expect then that we would read about warriors, you know, who are ready to fight the great war. Mighty men who are going to fight. And, but surprisingly, the second thing that we uh, see in this passage is not only that the center of Christmas is a conflict, but second, that the center of Christmas is a woman. The center of Christmas is a woman. And some of you might say, well, are you saying that a woman is not a warrior? And, uh, well, I'll tell you, you know, the Bible repeatedly talks about the vulnerability of women. And there are women in the Bible who do heroic things. There's one who even leads an army. And that can happen. But they're generally not warriors in the Bible. They need to be protected by warriors. And yet, this verse focuses the conflict of the serpent with a woman. Right? Verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. 
And already within Genesis 3, you know, the woman Eve has been finding herself suffering. You know, she's been deceived by the serpent, and then she's, her husband is blaming her for everything that went wrong. And then in the verse right after this, it says that she's going to have suffering and childbearing throughout her life, and she's often going to find herself living with a domineering husband. And it's not just that the woman is a victim, but she's listened to the serpent instead of God's word, and she's going to struggle to be, you know, controlling with her husband. And the whole picture is of a woman in a struggle, some of you women might say, I feel the struggle that this scripture is describing what the experience in this world is like. And the picture is not uh, of a woman who's just suffering. It's a woman who's at war with the serpent. There's enmity between her and the serpent. And some of you might read this verse and say, you know, who is the woman? It says, I put enmity between, between you and the woman. Which woman? Was it Eve? She's in the beginning of the Bible. Well, you know, Eve's long dead, long gone, where, you know, she doesn't play much a role in the story. Maybe it's talking about Mary. Mary would become the woman who's the mother of Jesus. Well, it's interesting, when you read about the coming of Jesus in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that in, in his genealogy, in the, there were all these women that were in his line, and they all had rocky paths. They were all a part of the struggle. You know, you had Tamar and Rahab were prostitutes. And Ruth was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. And Bathsheba was sinfully taken by David. And Mary was poor and unmarried when she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it seems that all of these women were God's chosen vessels in his war with the serpent. These women played a key role. And actually, you know, there's a very strange verse that some of you have maybe read in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where it's, it's talking about Christian women in the church, and you've probably read it and said, what is this talking about? And this is what it says. It says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And you read this on the first read, you say, it sounds like it's saying that women are saved by having babies. And, uh, but literally in Greek, this is what it says. She, a singular woman, will be saved through the childbearing. Again, a particular childbirth. If they, plural, continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. A singular woman and a singular childbirth is defining the faith and love and holiness of all Christian women. What is this talking about? Well, it's a reference to this verse in Genesis chapter 3. Women are not saved by having babies. They are saved through the promised child born of the woman that is Jesus. It's talking about Christmas. And of course, women's motherhood is, is somehow wrapped into this. The manger scene of Mary and baby Jesus has for a whole civilization instilled in us a deep wonder at the beauty of a mother with her child. But the important thing is this. You truly become a woman not through a woman's own power. You truly become a woman through faith in Jesus Christ. And in him you join the war against the serpent. And in some strange way, the whole experience of being a vulnerable yet faithful woman in this world is wrapped into this one phrase, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Womanhood finds its true meaning in Christmas. And it's all part of the great story of redemption foretold in this cryptic verses of Genesis 3 that at the center of Christmas is a woman. And so what we've learned so far is that the story of the world 
uh, is that at the center of Christmas is a conflict, a war between the city of God and the city of man. And also at the center of Christmas is a woman, God's chosen vessel through whom he brings his redemptive purposes. But lastly, and most importantly, we see in this passage, at the center of Christmas is a Savior. The center of Christmas is a Savior. And of course, uh, the center of this verse is the promise that the offspring, the child of the woman, will be the key one fighting evil in history. And this is the earliest prophecy that there would be a Messiah who would come one day in human history. And reading verse 15 again, look at these words. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Two things I want to point out about this verse is that first, this says that Jesus will defeat the evil one. This is a promise that Jesus will defeat evil in the world. The child born of Mary will defeat the ancient serpent. And maybe you think it's a little understated how it says, and you will bruise his head. You're like, you're just going to bruise the head? Is that all you're going to do? Well, that word could be translated crush your head. And really the picture here is of Jesus stepping on the, the head of the serpent And this is really what Adam was supposed to do in the first place. You know, in the garden, there was a serpent that comes in. It's an unclean animal into God's sanctuary. And the animal talks, and it's speaking lies about God to his wife. What should Adam have done? Shovel to the snake is what he should have done. I'm going to silence the snake. And he didn't do it. He listened to the snake as well. And so this verse is saying God's going to send a new Adam. Adam spoiled humanity the first time. There's going to be a new humanity that begins in Jesus. And yet he's going to be faithful and do what Adam didn't do the first time. Jesus, too, was tempted by the devil, but he never sinned. And this is saying more than that just Jesus will defeat Satan. It means he will defeat all of the evil that Satan has caused. And, uh, you know, this is the beginning of history that we read in Genesis 3. There's a verse in 1 uh, Corinthians 15 that talks about the end of history. And it refers to this verse, and it talks about Jesus and the end of history. This is what it says. Then comes the end. When Jesus delivers the kingdom of, uh, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's the image of the serpent under Jesus' feet. And yet it says not just the serpent, but all of Jesus' enemies. What are Jesus' enemies in the world? All sin, all abuse, all oppression, all suffering, all betrayal, all addiction, all greed, all broken relationships, all violence. All will be put under his feet and crushed. Or as... We'll sing here in a moment, in joy to the world. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Any square inch of this earth that that curse has touched, he is going to set free and redeem. That is the future of this world. That is what's promised in Genesis 3. And this has already started. Of course, Jesus has brought blessing and health to the poor and and to the weak and to the nations of the world and forgiveness more than anyone else in history. At the center of Christmas is a Savior who will defeat every influence of the evil one in the world and in our lives. Now, when you hear about Jesus defeating, 
defeating all the evil in the world, you might say, wow, this sounds very triumphalistic. This king is going to come and defeat evil. He's a great warrior. And, uh, but this prophecy of Genesis 3 ends on a sobering note. And that's the second thing that this verse tells us. Not only that Jesus will defeat the evil one, but second, that Jesus will suffer in the process. Jesus will suffer in the process. The Lord God said to the serpent, not only that he will crush your head, but he says also you shall bruise his heel. In the process of crushing the serpent's head, Jesus will be wounded. And, you know, I I read an article uh, recently talking about why is Christmas on December 25th. And, you know, some of you have maybe heard it said that, well, the reason... Christmas is on December 25th is because pagans, for thousands of years, have celebrated the winter solstice, which is on December 21st. It's the darkest day of the year. And so pagans would celebrate the winter solstice, and then Christians came along and said, well, we need a holiday too. Why don't we just borrow their holiday and we'll, you know, slap Jesus on top of it, and now it'll be called Christmas. Well, it turns out that's not why Christians celebrated Christmas on December 25th, even though it's the darkest day of the year. And so it makes sense that the light of the world would come on the darkest night of the year. The reason we celebrate on December 25th is because you know what's nine, exactly nine months before December 25th? March 25th. And church tradition has said that Jesus was conceived at the Passover feast on March 25th, nine months earlier. That's when the Son of God actually came into the world. And it was the Passover at the end of his life was going to be the time when he would hang on the cross. His entrance into the world always had this in view, that he was going to suffer. And the only way to defeat evil was if he went to the cross and bore our sins in our place on the cross, that we could be forgiven, that we could be set free, and to defeat death. And so from the very beginning, his mission was in the mind of his father. Friends, we are living in a great story. Like any great story, at its center is a conflict, a war. And God's chosen vessel for his war against the evil one is not a mighty warrior, but a beloved and vulnerable woman who, is given, who has given birth to a savior. But he will put every evil thing under his feet until he delivers the kingdom to his father, But he must go to the cross first. The serpent will bruise his heel. And so just as Shannon and I looked out on the snowy trees and thought, what an amazing world. May this true story of the world and the incarnation of the Son of God live in your hearts this Christmas as you worship the Savior and as we learn to play our parts in the story that God has created us all for. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that we're gathered here and uh, that Christmas is not just a cute story about a baby and a mother. It's about the true story of the world that we are living in. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would give us faith and hope to trust in the Savior born of Mary who took our sins on the cross. May we know him and love him deeply, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.